Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And we are back on the Believe in the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Golden of Jets X Factor. And of course, I have former Jet running back Lamont Jordan here with me as my co-host. Big hiring news in the offseason for the New York Jets. They have a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach as well. Two new big names in the building, but none bigger than former Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett, officially hired as the Jets' new O.C., Familiar relationship with Robert Salaf going back to their time in Jacksonville also has a relationship with Matt LaFleur, another guy Robert Salaf is very close with during their time together in Green Bay. Lamont, we got to first start talking about Hackett as the OC. That's the big name here. We'll get to Keith Carter, the new offensive line coach and run game coordinator in a minute. But before we jump in with Hackett, before we jump into the speculation and craziness and our opinions of this hire, we got to thank our friends over at betonline.ag as always for sponsoring. BetOnline is your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. NFL playoffs, pro and college basketball, UC, UFC and MMA and more, anything you could ever need. You always find the latest odds, team matchups, player info and game trends over on BetOnline. They have live betting options, free contests, live scores for any game you could possibly imagine. It is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device and you can receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your first rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Lamont, let's start with this hire. I want to start with your opinion first because this is a unique situation. You were as a player for the Jets in the early 2000s, actually, played under Nathaniel Hackett's father, Paul Hackett, when he held the same role as the Jets' offensive coordinator. And I imagine growing up in the NFL, more so than most other professional environments really anywhere, there's a lot of nepotism, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way, where if you had a father in the league as a coach or whatever, and you're growing up in that environment, it's not unusual to see people grow up and become coaches themselves or try and get into the same business. So I imagine this is a guy in Nathaniel Hackett that's been around the league basically his whole life and has had an opportunity to learn and grow and, and know the sport and know the NFL game. That's where the experience really coming in as, you know, someone that's been in the league for that long. I want to know your opinion on the hire. We've seen how Hackett was as a head coach in Denver. We've seen how he was as the offensive coordinator in Green Bay. However, he did not call the plays. So you can't really attribute most of that to Hackett's doing. And outside of really one fluke year in Jacksonville in 2017, it really hasn't been too statistically impressive. But knowing his father, knowing that process, knowing that background and what you know as a player and a coach yourself, how do you feel about this? Um, I have mixed feelings about it. I'm going to be honest with you. My initial reaction was like, oh, my gosh, what did we just do? I mean, if you're a Jets fan right now, you're you're not happy about the hire. You're not. When you look at what we, when you look at who we were as an offense and you look at where the Broncos were as an offense, it's like, what are we doing here? You know, what what, what what are we doing here? You and I talked about the names. We brought up Frank Wright, who's now the head coach down in Carolina. So, of course, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but there were just it's just one of those things where I'm not I'm, I'm not a fan of the pick. I'm just going to I'm just going to say it. I'm not a fan of the hire. I understand the hire. Uh, when you talk about the relationship that they have, but I'm just not a fan of the hire. Like we don't, the difference between him and LaFleur is that he actually has experience of being an offensive coordinator in the national football league. Um, and I'm gonna go over some of the positives of, of hiring him. Although I'm not a fan of the hire, these are just the, the, the few positives. He has more experience than the last offensive coordinator. All right. He also has experience at coaching quarterbacks in the National Football League, which is a step up from the quarterbacks coach that we had here under LaFleur. All right. And although he may not be the quarterbacks coach, at the end of the day, he's the offensive coordinator. So he's going to have a say so and a hand in everything that goes on with every position. Um, that's it. Those are the positives. That's it. And so if those are your positives, and I'll add one other positive, and it's because of Hackett, and this is the one thing that I really learned from Coach Hackett, and, and I love this about Coach Hackett. It helped set the tone for me 
to have my nine-year career because it echoed what Mike Loxley was teaching us and in, in the way he went about doing things at the University of Maryland. The one area that I'm looking at this higher, and I'm hoping that with the name Hackett, that he brings this because so far, the only coach that I can think of that is the son of a father who's had some type of success in the National Football League that has also gone on to have success himself is Shanahan. Yeah. Outside of that, maybe you can help me with that. But every other person, you talk about Turner, you talk about um, you talk about Hackett, and I don't know who else, but so far those are the names that come to mind. It, it just has not worked out for them. If he can bring this one detail that his father brought, which I was so appreciative of, and it's something that we speak often about dealing with this team. Coach Hackett was big on the details. If your comeback is 17 yards, if you run it at 16, he is in your face. If, you're, if, if your dig route is supposed to be run a certain way and it's not run that way, he is on your case. He was a stickler about the details of everything. If he can bring that, we're going to have more success. I think that with him being here, we will have more success because I just think either way, it's an upgrade. I think that most coaches that we brought in this position was going to be an upgrade. It's just that when you look at his resume, when you look at what the Denver Broncos were this past season, when you think about all the hype, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought the, Bron I thought the Raiders would win the division. But I thought the Broncos, if if the Raiders didn't take care of business, I really thought the Broncos, because I thought they had weapons out there. I thought that they would be a lot better from an offensive standpoint. I mean, hell, you had Russell Wilson. Yep. How was your offense that bad when you have Russell Wilson, you have Judy, you have Sutton, you had a multitude of different backs, but all of those guys were good. I'm just not a big fan of the hire. So for me, it's just a, it's really just a weight and see and just hope that things work out better here than they did in Denver and all the other places he's been with the exception of that one year in Jacksonville. Yeah, let's get into the actual numbers. You know, let's not just beat around the bush or give descriptions. Let's talk about the actual numbers for Nathaniel Hackett as a play caller, not counting his years in Green Bay, where again, he was not the one calling the plays. So you kind of can't really attribute their success to him when he's not the one calling plays themselves. Now. There is a point that you can contribute to Hackett that a lot of people in the Packers organization have also attributed to him as well, and that is that he really helped them in the red zone, and that for the three years that he was there from 2019 to 2021, the Packers were, I believe, top five or top six in the league in red zone efficiency every single year, and now their first year in 2022 without him, as he's the head coach in Denver, they dropped to 24th in the league in red zone efficiency, and a lot of people in Green Bay said that beforehand, that he was a big help in our red zone package and our success there. And then he goes to a new stop and they seem to seemingly get worse. That's a positive. There are also positives to take out to point out the fact that outside of Green Bay, where he wasn't a play caller, this guy hasn't had a ton of talent to work with on offense besides the one year in Denver. And I think with the one year in Denver, by no means is it excused. By no means does it not deserve any criticism. By no means should it not be factored in. But I think it is a little bit different when you are handling being a head coach for the first time, as well as being a play caller. And so I think there's a little bit of a skew when you're judging Hackett in Denver, saying, how was he as a play caller when he's got every other thing to do as the head coach on top of it? It's his first experience as a head coach in the NFL, and he's their play caller for the majority of the year. That's a lot of stuff on you at once. So I'm not, again, I'm not trying to wipe it away. I'm not trying to say it doesn't count. I'm not trying to say... We can't take anything from it. In the NFL, it is a what have you done for me recently league, and that is his most recent output. It is absolutely the most critical part of this evaluation. But it's unfair to say that it's the exact same as any offensive coordinator job that he might have had before where he was calling plays, and his only job was handling the offense and calling the plays. Mm -hmm. That said, again, let's look at the numbers from those times that he was just an offensive coordinator and let's match it up to his other situations. So before Broncos in 2022, the last time Nathaniel Hackett was a play caller was 2018 with Jacksonville Jaguars. They finished 31st in points per game. They finished 27th in yards per game. They were 26th in passing and they were 19th in rushing. Overall, not a very good output led to the entire staff getting fired, including head coach Doug Barone, Hackett himself. 
and he lost his play calling duties and didn't get another opportunity to call plays until multiple years later as his own head coach. The year before that is the year we've alluded to 2017 in Jacksonville. The Jaguars play a very good game all season or ending up uh, end up making the AFC championship game. Blake Bortles throws, I believe it was 35 something touchdowns. Leonard Fournette is a rookie, rushes for a thousand yards. Jalen Ramsey has a, a, a emergent season, him and AJ Bouye locking things down on the outside. Jaguars are a good team. They finished sixth overall in yards per game. They're 17th in passing. They're first in the league in rushing, and they're fifth in points per game in the 2017 season overall. That's a great offense. You can't, nothing to scoff at there. And when you look at the talent overall, it wasn't a star-studded group. The offensive line wasn't amazing. Rookie Fournette was a good player, but I don't think anyone's going to sit here and say Rookie Fournette is the best running back anyone's ever seen in their lives. And is the top two receivers uh, were Marquise Lee and Alan Hearns, and the quarterback was Blake Bortles. That's an impressive year. And that's really where you hang your hat on this if you are trying to defend this hire and go, well, look at what he did with Jacksonville. Look at what he did with Blake Bortles. Look at what Aaron Rodgers thinks of him, as we'll get into next before we get done with the resume. That's a positive. Outside of that, 2016, the year before for the Jaguars, 23rd in yards per game, 20th in passing, 22nd in rushing, and 25th in points. Not a great output. Two years before that, he's still with Doug Marone as the offensive coordinator with the Buffalo Bills. Granted, not a lot of talent there either. Had quarterbacks like EJ Manuel, had quarterbacks like Kyle Orton, had trying to think of, you know, other guys they started in that carousel during that time. I believe Tyrod Taylor was even there for a period of time earlier in his career. There's a handful of, of a mess here offensively that Hackett was having to work with. And the results kind of match that. 2014, he's 26th in yards, he's 18th in passing, he's 25th in rushing, he's 18th in points. 2013, the year before that, his first year as a pro offensive coordinator, he's 19th in yards, he's 28th in passing, he's second in rushing, he's 22nd in points per game. Mm -hmm. So there's a little sprinkles here and there of success, but overall, it's a lot of a lot of not that great. And when you're looking at just the two most recent outputs, his finishes in his two last years as an offensive coordinator, 31st in points per game, 32nd in points per game. That doesn't bode well. That really doesn't bode well for the future. And on top of that, this is the one thing I wanted to get into with you, Lamont, because we've talked about this a lot. And I want to be clear that I do think that there is a difference between Michael Floor's offense and Nathaniel Hackett's offense. I, they are not the same, and let's be very clear about that. But they are rooted in the same systems. They are both West Coast. They are both outside zone. And their hiring of Keith Carter as an offensive line coach confirms that for me because the only thing the Titans wanted to run was outside zone with Derrick Henry and let him cut back upfield. That's what they did more times than not. I'm pretty confident that they are still going to be a zone-running West Coast team just like they were primarily under Michael Floor. I don't know how <laughs> much of the college gimmicky nonsense that we don't like is going to be included when you have a, a play caller like Hackett that's been around the league for so long and is a little more familiar with pro offenses. But when you're looking at things from a whole, like you said, you're looking for the positives of the hire. The positives is that he has experience. The positives is that he has worked with NFL quarterbacks and coached as NFL quarterbacks, not only as a play caller, offensive coordinator, but a quarterback's coach. There is that experience angle as well. But when I'm looking at this in a vacuum, I am seeing the Jets said they were going to cast a wide net, they weren't going to stick to a particular scheme, and they weren't just going to look for people that Robert Sala knew personally, and they hired a guy that Robert Sala knew personally that runs the exact same scheme that they already ran, then ran by the guy they just fired, and looked for someone that was in direct contact with multiple people that they know personally and that they have tight connections with as well, where Matt LaFleur is literally Robert Sala's best friend. And he's mm -hmm. calling up his former offensive coordinator to come be his offensive coordinator. That's a bad sign to me. And I'm not saying every hire where you, you know someone personally or you had a relationship with the past <laughs> is a bad thing. It's not. That's how you build connections. The league is full of connections. It's incredibly hard to find two people in the league who don't know each other, at least somewhat. There's too many connections and crossover and guys switching roles all over the place. It's bound to happen. That's fine. But when you hire a guy whose track record doesn't deserve the job that you are promoting him to, and one of the reasons you're hiring him is familiarity, and one of the reasons you hired the last guy that probably shouldn't have gotten the job he got was familiarity, it kind of reeks of making the same mistake twice. 
And this is where I want to transition, Lamont. I feel like this is the Jets, quite honestly, trying to do what the Broncos couldn't and lure Aaron Rodgers. And they're saying, because Salah himself said it, and, and, I, and I didn't mention this before we started recording, but it blew me away. Salah himself outright said in a press conference in January, we are going to do everything we can to acquire a veteran <laughs> quarterback. Mm. You don't say that unless you're dang confident that you're going to be able to do whatever you can to get it done. Unless you got the green light from your owner saying trade whatever you have to, I'll write you a blank check. Even if it might be obvious to the rest of the world, as a team and as a, a head coach, you're not going to come out and reveal your plans and tie your own hands behind your back unless you're pretty sure that you're going to have a way to do it, even if that way is being completely and totally desperate and not caring about the price. So this, to me, just says, Salah already knows the guy. He already has a relationship with him. They know they need a vet quarterback, and they're going to try and do what the Broncos did and hire this guy to lure Aaron Rodgers. And if it doesn't work, then you're the Broncos, and we just saw how that worked out. I'm, I'm not loving this hire. I'm not. I'm yeah, I'm definitely I don't love the hire. I, I don't love the hire. Here's the other thing. When you talk about um the the son of an OC that's been in the league, Shanahan is the only one who has had success, but he's also the only one that I see who's still running the same system that his father ran with his own little twist on it. I've never been a fan, and I'm not a fan of the zone scheme. I'll never forget when I went to Oakland and uh, Norv was the coach. I'm thinking I'm about to run the same offense that I saw Emmett running in, that I watched Ladanian running in, a whole uh, a bunch of counters down mm-hmm. running. That yeah, 22 you, power right up yeah, the gut. Oh, my gosh. Nope. We wanted to be Shanahan. Like we, we like that was that was the thing at that time is that hey we, the zone scheme stuff worked for me I wasn't a fan of Coach Hackett when he was in New York here's another positive I played for the Jets four years there was a Hackett as an offensive coordinator three of those four years we made the playoffs all right now we had some games with the offense where we just let we we just let it down we we could have been better from an offensive standpoint. Um, I, once I went to New England and I played for Coach Belichick, I realized why we struggled against the Patriots and why we could have beat them more. We were too predictable. We, we, you were not going to line up against Bill Belichick and think that you're going to run the same stuff that you run. Your tendencies are going to be the same, and you're going to have a lot of success playing against him. You're just not. That's just not going to happen. The point of me saying all that is that the reason that Curtis Martin, I believe to this day, is still the oldest running back to win the Russian titles because we didn't run just zone scheme. We ran everything. You couldn't come into a game and only prepare for one run play. We were running inside zone. We were running outside zone. We were running toss plays. We were running different variations of draws. Every run that we, every pretty much every run that you had you had different variations of it. That is what I know as the West Coast. I think today when we hear West Coast scheme, I think it's mainly talking specifically about the passing game. Yes. Because what I know from West Coast is when I grew up watching the San Francisco 49ers is mm-hmm. that backfield was different. There wasn't yep. a whole Wing team, hit and pull. Yeah, yeah like multitude not even the runs. same. Yes, it was a multitude of runs with the West Coast style verbiage. Should I say it was a West Coast verbiage? It was a West Coast read things out kind of way. I'm nervous about the hire, and and you texted this to me, Drew, and you said this in a text message, and 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 I agree with you, man. You made a point, and you said that like either this is going to work or this may cost coaches job. Yeah, and that's and I'm worried about it. The thing that he has going for him is that things were so bad here for the last two years offensively if our defense can continue to maintain where they are but get a little bit better as you will want your team to get each year if our offense can rank anywhere between 15 and 16 we got a shot yeah we have a shot defense can replicate what they did but yes there's a what 
I'm going to say something I've been holding back saying in, in publicly for a while, but if I have to be the one to say it, I'll be the one to say it. Defense is notoriously, notoriously streaky. And it is hard in the NFL, more so than offense, in my opinion. It is hard to be an elite defense year in and year out in the NFL. Yep. It is it is very, very difficult. And that's just the nature of the game. Teams get more film on you. New offensive you know, ideas start flooding the league. Everyone starts adjusting. They copy each other. It's a cyclical flow. And, and as a defense, you're usually on the playing catch-up side of that than you are being ahead of it and, and kind of setting the tone. I think that there is a possibility where the Jets defense slightly regresses next year. And not to get too off topic, but... Instead of being near the top five in all categories, maybe they're near the top 10. Maybe they're eight. Maybe they're nine. And they're still a very, very good unit. But I feel like people are going to be disappointed that they aren't a top five unit again and year in and year out after that. And mm -hmm. clearly one of the best defenses in the league every season going on. You guys need to understand how freaking rare the 2013 Seahawks actually were, yeah. where they were first or second in the NFL in defense and yards and points allowed basically every year for five straight years. They're like the only team that's ever done it. Like there you'd have to go back 40 plus years to find anybody else that's even been close. So if the Jets defense, when we're saying this defense, this awesome defense that they have, they may still have a very, very good defense next year. And it may just rank eighth or 11th or 10th and not be this top-of-the-line, statistical, elite, perfect defense. And that's okay, because if their <laughs> offense gives them at least 10% more than what they were getting last year, they're going to be put in better positions overall, and they may not have to go out and make as many stops and be as elite as they were to still get away with wins. Slight mm -hmm. rant, don't want to go too off-topic, but I, I'm not going to sit here and say the sky is falling or, or fire Jeff Ulbrich if the defense is ranked 12th overall in the league next year, but they win 11 games. I don't care. Like. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you. I it's I think the defense is going to be fine because I, I truly believe that the offense is going to be better. And it's going to be better because it has no choice but to. <laughs> like it has no choice, but you, you have no other options than to get better. It's either it's either the offense gets better or we're picking it in top four next year. Yeah. And and it's it, that's just the reality of the situation. When you look at the guys that that are free agents that we may not get back. I told you before that I'm not a fan of going and spending a whole lot of money <clears throat> on on one of these veteran yeah. quarterbacks. Now, with well, it that sounds said, like that's what they're doing. So, now, with that better said, get prepared. And and I'm and I'm okay with it because of who the veteran quarterback is. If it's Aaron Rodgers, listen, I am an Aaron Rodgers fan. Two of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. If I had to take. Two of my, if I had to take my top five quarterbacks, top seven, two of them are still playing and they both wear the same number Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. All right. So if we're going to go and spend a lot of money and we're going to get Aaron Rodgers and we can have Aaron Rodgers here for at least a good two or three years with the offensive weapons that he had, that, that we have here, because we do have weapons. All right. I would feel better about Hackett because I know that there is a bigger brain that is also having significant input in the offense, which is Aaron Rodgers. The, the, the weapons that we have from an offensive standpoint, when you look at Wilson, everybody knows the names that we have, but you add Aaron Rodgers to that, that is a totally different pressure. On a team where you have no veteran leadership, yeah. You now have Aaron Rodgers as your veteran leadership. That's a problem. I think there's a good shot, and I was thinking about this when I was reading something about the possibility of Aaron Rodgers coming here. Is it possible? It could, yeah. I mean, he's doing commercials, TV shows, Jeopardy. You're not going to be in Los Angeles. What better place to be than New York City? Why not? To me, it That's makes point. if I want to get out of Green Bay and I'm thinking about life after football, I'm on the end. This is my last stop. I'm a, I'm going to do it for a year or two. And then I'm moving on to life off the field where I'm already into to, to, to doing things behind the, the behind the screens on the camera. 
you know, all those different things, what better place to set yourself up for life after football to continue on with the things that he's already doing? That, hey, come come take a bite out of the Big Apple, baby. I, he is the only veteran, or not unless you're talking about Tom Brady, but Aaron Rodgers is the only guy that I would say, okay, if we got to throw money at him and we lose a couple of guys on the defensive side of the ball, we lose some of these, 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 um, we lose some depth on the defensive side of the ball to get Aaron Rodgers. And we're going to talk about Keith Carter, the new offensive line coach that they brought in. We'll talk about him. And you're going to be better on the offensive line where you can protect Aaron Rodgers. That's a problem because I'm okay. I will give Coach Sala and, and their staff this. They've done a wonderful job. They've done a great job as far as I'm concerned. All right. They have done a great job of draft picks and free agents. So if we have to lose some guys, they've earned our trust. I believe they've earned our trust as a fan base to say, hey, if we lose this guy, they've shown that whether it's free agency or a draft, that they can go in and bring somebody else in. So uh, when it comes to Hackett, you know, it looks good if we get Aaron Rodgers. But if we don't get Aaron Rodgers and this was a hire just to get somebody here, then things are going to be, things could be really, really disastrous, which is sad because I'm looking at Coach Sala with the work that his staff has done, just the Jets organization has done. I'm looking at him being a coach that's here for like a minimum eight, nine years, because I think that's the trajectory that he's on right now. So um, this is one of those things we got to wait and see and then see how the rest of the offensive coaching staff is going to look. Yeah, no, I think I think that is where we put a bow on Nathaniel Hackett right there is best case scenario. They lure Aaron Rodgers and it works. Rodgers <laughs> isn't at the tail end of his career yet he's able to still be effective and and still Aaron Rodgers for what it's going to cost to acquire him and what it's going to cost to pay him outright mm-hmm. and you can be a successful Jets team that makes some noise in the playoffs and and gets out of the dark hole you've been in for a decade plus now that's best case scenario there's a there is a possibility that that happens it is not zero it is not completely out of the question there is a real possibility that that is a chance it certainly seems that way right now with how the Jets themselves are talking, saying, we're going to go get a veteran quarterback. We're going to improve our offensive line. And that's what we're going to do. And they asked one of the last questions in Salah's presser where he was talking about Hackett and Carter and the hires that they made. He gets asked, if you get to training camp with whatever veteran you have, and is it going to be an open competition with him and Zach Wilson? If Zach's playing well enough, is there going to be a chance that that he could find a way to start again and the veteran's going to sit the bench? and I am being 100% literal here. Sala laughed it off. He laughed off the question of Zach Wilson winning a competition in the summer in training camp. Didn't say no, didn't say that would never happen, but chuckled, was very clearly amused, and basically said, we'll see what happens in the summer. So I took that very much as whatever guy we bring in here is our starter, is going to be our starter, and we are going to do whatever we can to make sure that we have a guy that we're confident in being our starter. Best case scenario, that's Aaron Rodgers to go with Hackett in a pairing that you've seen work with a quarterback in Rodgers that I think you can trust to have some control by himself on the line of scrimmage. And if he sees a matchup that he likes, let him dictate some things by himself and play, you know, pick apart a defense the way he's capable of doing. And the Jets make the playoffs and everything's great. And the worst case scenario (laughs) is that you are the 2022 Denver Broncos, where you bottom out completely and everything fails and your coaching staff gets fired. And Oh, guess what? You don't have either of your first round picks to trade to, to save your situation. You got your, you earned yourself a top five draft pick and it's going to Seattle. Congrats. You want to, you want to end up with the jets having a top five pick and have to send it to green Bay. That's a scary situation for me. That's assuming Rogers gets acquired and doesn't work out. We're not even talking about the possibility of them not landing him. Yeah. And that's the other possibility, too. If they don't land him, who are you pairing with Hackett that's going to inspire any sort of confidence to make you feel like this this hire is going to work itself out? Where this is what, what we wanted so badly, Lamont, was a guy, whoever it was, 
experience would have been nice, but most importantly for me, and I think you as well, we wanted a guy who found a way to generate yards with whoever they had in front of them, put their players in the best position to succeed, built a scheme around their talents, and did everything they could to create a functioning offense without having to dictate it to one particular style of scheme and one particular style of player and not being able to adjust when things aren't working. We wanted someone who could think for themselves. We wanted an offensive coordinator, not just a play designer and not just somebody who's going to be able to draw something up. I don't know if there's any evidence that Hackett is anything more than just a below average offensive coordinator. And I quite honestly, uh, this might be harsh, but the track record, I think, proves this. If he wasn't best friends with Aaron Rodgers and didn't get to to put Packers OC as his on his resume during years, he wasn't calling plays. I don't think he gets the Denver head coach job at all. Mm. I don't think he ever becomes a head coach. I don't know if he would have gotten another offensive coordinator job. Yeah. And that's that's really scary for me. I'm I'm concerned. I'm a little bit questioning. I'm interested to see how things shake out and what happens with quarterback is going to dictate a lot of it. but. Mm-hmm. but there's reason to be concerned right now and yeah. it's it's as simple as i can put it and that's not what we wanted that's that's not what you want coming into this situation no. as a Jets fan is to come into the season hoping and wishing and not knowing what's going to happen on the offensive side of the ball we have to see some significant changes on the offensive side of the ball and for me i mean we know that we have hackett there but the one position that we that regardless of who your quarterback is we have to get that old line together. And I know yep. that you were, I think you were excited about the hiring. Yeah, um, I, I like Keith Carter. I like the idea. And this is where I was excited to talk to you about it specifically with your background as a player and a coach <laughs> in other spots where a lot of the Jets entire staff, and this comes from Robert Sala himself, and it follows and trickles down through the rest of the organization. They're not the the dictator drill sergeant type of yelling and screaming and getting in your face and calling you out and being the a-hole. That's not their MO. That's not their style. It never has been. It's not what they try to be. It's just not who they are. And that's so they're not going to try and be something that they're not. Keith Carter has that reputation as an offensive line coach, where mm-hmm. Taylor Lewan, the Titans left tackle, who's a very, very good player in his own right, very well respected, has been the leader of their line for a while, talked about how when they first went and Keith Carter first came in, I believe it was 2015 was the year it was his first year with the Titans. The guy they had before him as their offensive line coach was Russ Grimm was a former player who was part of the the hog mollies in Washington in the eighties and a a very, you know, well-respected player where Taylor Lewan was saying, Russ Grimm's the type of guy that you'd walk in and do a 1030 meeting and he might already be halfway done with a beer. And, you know, he's just chilling and hanging out. Then you go over to Keith Carter and he's a lot more demanding and a little bit more of that dictator type role. And I'm not trying to sit here and say that the demanding dictator is the perfect leadership style. And that's what you have to be as a football coach. I don't buy that at all. I think everyone can have their own style and have it work. And a lot more times that if you're genuine with people and connect with them, they're going to work harder for you than if you're getting in their tail either way. That said, and this is where I wanted to talk to you a lot and what we talked about before a little bit off air, that we had a lot of problems on this offensive line from veteran players who were making a lot of money, who were not playing up to the standard and didn't seem to care about it and didn't seem like there was any urgency or 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 anything from these guys like Lakin Tomlinson or Connor McGovern or George Fant, where I know Fant was dealing with some injuries too, but if you are dealing with those injuries and you know you're incapable of going out there, that's when you as a player need to protect yourself or you as a coach need to protect the player from themselves and do what's best for the team. If you're Lakin Tomlinson and you're fully healthy and you're the third highest paid player on the team, and you're getting dominated from week one through week 17 every single game, and you don't seem to care whatsoever, that's an issue for me. And so I thought having a guy in Carter that's a little bit more hard-nosed and a little bit more down to business, and we are going to be better, and I am not giving you the option to just be okay, just okay isn't good enough, I think it's going to do really good for the veterans on this line, as well as guys like Elijah Vera Tucker and Mekhi Becton, who give them the guy to put them through the work and with their talent that who knows what they could be. Um, I think this was a move that when you have a coaching staff, that's full of the supportive rah, rah, we're not going to get in your tail type of guys, having the disciplinarian dude too to factor in and have a piece of that, I think can make it all that much more effective in the end. And I really think it's going to help the line out as a whole. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge because once again, that's what we were missing. 
you know, and, and it sets and it, it sets a tone. It sets a tempo. You know, it sets a tone. If if yep. you have an offensive line coach that's all kumbaya and hey guys, come on, you got to do this, and you're worrying about a guy's feeling, your offense is going to suck. Your offense is going to suck. I mean, because you're going to come out there, you're going to be at practice, and there, there's nothing. You never have to worry about anything physical. You know, as a back, you have to worry about getting hit. You have to worry about there not being any holes. When you have an offensive line coach that's fiery, that's going to be in your face, that's going to hold you accountable. Oh man, yeah. it sets a whole, it, it, it sets yeah. a whole other tempo. Like, it, 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 for me, it's not just offensive line; it's any position. That's how I, that's how I am as a running back coach. All right, I, I tell my guys we're the secret service, we're protectors. We protect the ball, we protect the quarterback, and we protect ourselves. When you think about the job of the Secret Service, it's their job to take all the bullets. We're the last line of defense, all right? And so the intensity that I coach with, the details that I coach with, you don't have – the running back position is not a position. We're not wide receivers and DBs. When you're playing the offensive line and you're playing the running back in the fullback position and the linebacker position – you ain't got time to worry about your socks and your shoes and this this match and this all this. We ain't got time for that. And if you have an offensive line coach that can prepare you, if you have a, a position coach that can prepare you that way, I'll never forget JG, Juwan Gardner, was my running back uh, when I coached with Mike Marks in the AAF. All right, and we, we used to sit and joke as we got towards the end of the season. They would talk about me as a coach. And the players talk about the coaches and amongst each other. We were in our running back room. And they said this. They, he was like, man, we thought you was a lunatic. We thought you were a lunatic. All right? Because that's how I coach. That was the mentality. But when you go out there and you saw the results of how those guys played in the trenches, you could see and you can understand why. I think outside of Hackett, the biggest ally that Hackett is going to have is going to be Keith Carter. I remember watching the Titans. And I am not a fan of the zone scheme. All right. I don't like it. But there is something about their the way they do their run game that I love. Yes. They attack angles. And this is what they do that's different is that they aren't trying to always get the corner on outside zone. Sometimes they're designing to hit the cutback on outside zone when they're basically they're basically doing like a wide zone where they're washing half the line one way and they're reaching and stealing on the backside, and it gives Derrick Henry this press cut, and he's able to go right back upfield. They'll run some, like, zone counters, like counter leads as well, where you get flow in front side, and the fullback slides up and slithers back through the C-gap. They get multiple. And then it's a lot of zone because just running outside zone with Derrick Henry works really, really well. So if it works that well, you know, why? if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But they can get a little bit multiple, and most importantly, they will get physical. They will move people at the line of scrimmage. They're not just trying to get in the way, and I think that's huge. That is huge. That is huge. And you said something. You said something where you were just sitting there describing, all right, and and they didn't have this, but I need to see this, and hopefully they add this to their offense. But you said this. They have plays where they have the fullback come back. The key thing you said there is fullback. <clears throat> Yes, That's the key. and Hackett had one too. Oh, and, and now that right there, listen, that is a smiley face for me, all right? That is a two thumbs up. All right, right now, that is another positive for Coach Hackett is that he believes in the fullback. I do remember yeah. watching Denver and saying that they have a fullback. That's huge that you have a fullback. You're bringing in a fiery, no-nonsense offensive line coach for one of the softest lines in the National Football League. Training camp, if it's physical, you're going to hear about more fights in Jets training camp. You're going to hear about a lot more scuffles because we already have savages on the defensive side of the ball. Now you bring in an offensive line coach that's going to be talking trash to you that know that's, that's, that's obviously been around enough who knows how to stir things up between the offensive and defensive line you got, I don't want to use, I don't want to say passive coaches, but you have coaches who are more reserved and concerned about yeah. guys' feelings and we're going to, hey, guys, no. You add that coach at that position, if the players respond, this could be something that's going to be huge for the Jets offense because the, the pieces are there. Yeah. 
the the pieces that you know the pieces are there um i like the hire there was something sneaky about tennessee's running game that i like and i just remember watching them run watching their schemes and i know that we all say that it's derrick henry and yes a lot of the big runs are derrick henry i will i will give you that a lot of the big runs have been derrick henry right. But there's something about the way they called that run scheme that allowed it to work. Because it wasn't just Derrick Henry. Because in games where Derrick Henry was out or his backup came in, they were still getting yards. And I have those numbers for you. Actually, I have those exact numbers. So with Derrick Henry, with over the last five years, with Keith Carter as the offensive line coach, they've averaged 4.7 yards a carry, which is excellent. Very, very good. NFL average during that (laughs) same time across the league is 4.3. Without Derrick Henry, they go from 4.7 to 4.1. So you're slightly above average with Derrick Henry, who's possibly a Hall of Famer, or at Mm -hmm. the very least an alien and not created on this earth. And you go down to slightly below average without Derrick Henry with guys like Jeremy McNichols. And I'm pretty sure they had Hassan Haskins this year as a rookie for, you know, periods of time. Those guys are not Derrick Henry. And the difference in them and Derrick Henry, in my opinion, is a lot greater than the difference in 4.7 yards of carry versus 4.1 yards of carry if the offensive line is the same. On top of that, I'm pretty sure Derrick Henry was like third in the league in rushing this year, and the Titans' offensive line lost like three starters. Yeah. So you have, just like the Jets situation, where you have injuries up front and you need to find someone and coach up whatever guys you have left, next man up mentality, and the (laughs) Titans survived. Their yep. rushing attack stayed potent. They were still able, yes, it's Derrick Henry. Yes, that counts for something. It's not like, oh, this was all because of the offensive line. But I don't think there is a player in the history of the NFL or history of the sport period as a running back that is going to be consistently effective and be the third highest rusher in his league in a season without some good blocking from his offensive line. I don't think yeah. it's possible. Yeah, it's not possible. And here's the thing about those numbers that we have to think about, which makes me gets me even more excited about Coach Carter, is he's done it with Tennessee. And so when he speaks, and most of the time, this is how it worked when I was working with Coach Mark. Coach Mark was the OC. He worked closely with the offensive line coach to come up with the game plan as far as the run and the pass protection scheme. Those guys have been working together for years. And so it was just so I had a chance to kind of sit back and watch how, how that went. And oftentimes the OC will will talk to the offensive line coach about just a different route. Most of the time they're on the same page with the runs because we always had some base set. We always had some base runs, but he's going to be a voice that everybody's going to listen to because he it's already proven. Now here's the thing that's impressive to me about the four point seven and the four point one. Although the four point one is below is below league average. Here's why it's why it's critical they averaged 4.7 yards with Derrick Henry and they averaged 4.1 yards without Derrick Henry. And they did this without a passing game. They had no passing game. Ryan Tannehill was their quarterback. So I remember one game, I think they only threw the ball 14 times. If you take that style of run game, add that 4.1, with the wide receivers that we have and a quarterback that can actually get the job done, that can manage the game, that you can actually get something consistently out of your passing game. Now that 4.1 without Derrick Henry, I think it goes back up to a 4.7 and Derrick Henry's 4.7 is probably 5.3, 5.4 because you're not think about this. And people have to understand what I'm saying here. <clears throat> they were averaging 4.7 yards with Derrick Henry per run. yards without Derrick Henry against defenses that knew that the only thing that they were going to do was run the ball. They were averaging 4.1 yards, all right, without Derrick Henry facing across multiple years against teams that are playing eight in the box. As a running back, listen, that's huge. You mean to tell me that you're going to give me a scheme now as a running back where before I'm facing eight in the box and now I got I got Wilson out here that you have to worry about. I got more. I got Mims. I got Davis. I got Berrios. And we have no idea who they're going to pick up during free agency. 
sometimes an offensive coordinator may not be a guy that wows you because it's not the guy that you want. But they could bring along with them some great position coaches that can make life a lot easier for them, which helps the team to help the offense to have some success. So for Coach Hackett, when you hear that he's hired, I'm assuming that Coach Carter was his first hire. I'm excited about that. Sala hired Carter. Sala hired. Sala hired him. I, listen, I love that even more. I love that even Dalla more. Sala hired him. The second he was let go as the offensive line coach this past season in Tennessee, Vrabel fired like pretty much all of his assistants this past offseason. It's not like Carter was the lone wolf in that uh in that outing in Tennessee. <laughs> and according to Sala, the second he learned that Carter had been let go, he put an interview request in. He could not believe that he was fired. He could not oh. believe that they let him go. And he said, I want this guy. And he is, in his own words, he is incredibly excited that they were able to get him on board. Carter had four other offensive line coach offers. He chose the Jets. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As a Jets fan, right now, I'm not focused on Hackett. I'm not focused on Hackett. The fact that Coach Soller made this decision as a head coach, he's not saying, hey, you're an offensive coordinator, you bring in your guys. He's saying that you're going to be my OC and this is going to be my offensive line coach. You're going to work with him. He's not going to work with you. You're going to work with him. That's what, to me, that's what that's saying. I'm more excited about the Carter hire than I am the Hackett hire. Hackett, it is what it is. We're going to have to wait and see. I love what he's doing with Carter. I think from this point on, it's just a matter of seeing who who are, who are the other coaches that they're going to bring in. Are they going to bring in another name that we can look at like a Carter and say, all right, now, now we're working with something. Yeah, that's going to be the next thing to find out. Sala himself has said that they want to still find a senior offensive assistant sort of role to fill, similar to what Greg Knapp uh, was planning to be before 2021. So that's still up in the air. It seems like that's very likely to happen. I don't know who they've quite interviewed for that role or who would possibly fit in that role perfectly, I'm not entirely sure. Knowing the Hackett situation and Carter being hired and that we're kind of sticking more to this West Coast sort of system, Gary Kubiak, uh, if if he's available and only having to be an assistant and not the whole OC, maybe that's a little more open. I'm not too sure. The one thing I can say, there is no one right now that is a bigger fan of what the Jets did yesterday than Brees Hall because he is going to be in a pro style offense. That's going to have a commitment to the run game where it's not going to be Michael floor throwing 45 passes with Mike white on broken ribs. You're going to have hopefully an offensive line coach and Keith Carter that is going to get in people's face when they are getting dominated and have a little more nastiness up front and a little more room to work with. You're going to have guys that I'm in the three cutups, the Titans games that I watched yesterday, trying to get a feel for Carter in their line. The one thing that I had at the top of my notes over and over and over and over was they moved the line of scrimmage. Moving the line of scrimmage, moving the line of scrimmage, taking the three tech four yards upfield, nose tackles, getting walked back, every run play. Mm-hmm. And that is something the Jets offense has been dying for, especially this past year. It's been like a two or three year problem, really, but especially this past year, they were so weak up front and their ability to move people off the line and not get penetrated immediately was just sad. And I think Keith Carter's really going to help with that. If you're Brees Hall, you got to be ecstatic. Cause I think you're, you're playing in an offense. You already know that fits you like it fit Brees Hall before when it was Michael floor outside zone. It's going to be the same sort of deal here. I know Brees Hall can hit an inside cutback. He doesn't have to always get the corner. And if there's a cutback lane right open and he's going up the hash for 60, instead of up the sideline for 60, who cares? It's touchdown. This is going to be, I think, a, a beneficial situation for the running game, for the running backs, for the offensive line. What it says for the rest of the offense, what it says for the quarterback situation, what it says for scoring, anything else, I can't say right now. But mm-hmm. I can say that I think the offensive line from a rushing attack standpoint is going to be better. I think they're going to be better in short yardage situations. I think they're going to be less, less vulnerable to easy penetration and getting walked back off the snap. And I think Brees Hall overall is going to be really happy because he's going to get a lot more lanes to run through when he comes back. And he's not he's not the only one. I mean, when you think about this system, when you think about Brees Hall, I think this is somebody that bam. Yeah. Bam in a in a system. Oh yeah. Running the way he runs, where he just makes a decision and he goes. And square your shoulders and get upfield. Oh, and, oh yeah, I like that. 
And not only that, you have to think about this. If Zach Wilson is around, this is going to be, this could be something that's huge for Zach Wilson. When you have an offensive line coach that's a fiery guy that gets in your face, oh, he talks crap to the quarterback. Don't mess up and not get to the right yep. check. Don't mess up and mess up on the cadence. Oh, no, you're going to have it. He's going to be in his face. A coach like this around Zach is the type of coach that you get a chance to find out about a guy. You really do. Because this is going to be one. He's going to be a person that if I, mean, I, I promise you, I've seen it happen. Whether it's in meetings, what it does not matter. That offensive line coach, if a play does not work because you didn't check into something right or you didn't point out the right mic, you didn't step up in the pocket, your footwork is lazy. That's why I made his offensive line look bad. Oh man, no, he's going to say something. So I think that that I think that his presence isn't only going to help out the offensive line. It's not only going to help bring that 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 voice that 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 savage voice that you have to have. I think it's a guy that the quarterback position is going to absolutely love because he's going to be the guy that's going to hold everybody accountable. Because if you think about it, he's the only raw raw coach that you have out there. He's the only raw raw coach that you have out there, so everybody's always going to hear him. They're going to see how hard the offensive line is going to work. When you get into these practices where you're going against the savage defense, now you're going to have an offensive line coach that is encouraging the defense to beat the crap out of his offensive linemen to get them tough or to get them out of here. That's just yep. the mentality of those types of coaches. Beat the hell out of them. They're either going to get tough or they're going to get out of here. And so I'm really excited about Coach Carter's hiring. Um, it's, it's just a continuation of what we said about Coach Stalin each year. So far, every year he's been here, he's done nothing but win an off season. And this right here, just taking the whole hacking thing out of it, that hiring right there, and I'm just finding out that he hired when you just told me that that that's significant. That is that is significant. Yeah. No, they announced the hirings back to back. Like they were they were both announced as hired like immediately together, pretty much. So unless I'm sure there was probably a little bit of coordination and behind the scenes saying, this is who we're looking to bring in. This is who we're interested in. Do you have a problem with that? Is there a, a difference in philosophies? But this was Salah's guy. From everything I've been able to, to take from, this was Salah's guy. This was a guy he was very high on. Another guy that he knows personally, when Salah was a defensive assistant in Seattle in 2013, Keith Carter was an offensive assistant in Seattle at the exact same time. So mm. they have a personal relationship being assistants going back however many years. Again, talking about Sala hiring people he knows. This is the positive side of it. Yes. This is, we were yeah. assistants together for one year, however many years ago, almost 10 years ago, when we both went our different ways and learned different things and been around different people and some similar people. And now this is a guy that I know to where I need a job. I can go, oh, I've worked with him before. I have somewhat of an idea. It's different than hiring your best man's little brother to be your offensive coordinator. Yep. There's, there's a huge stark difference here. Uh, and I think that's very clear. I yep. think we got these coaching hires wrapped up. Let's get to our bets for championship weekend before we get on out of here. Lamont, I'm going to go ahead and let you start because I had to think of mine kind of on the fly. And I'm curious to hear where you are uh, with this championship game. I believe if I'm remembering correctly, we both had one right last week. We each gave two and we both split. I had um, Cincinnati over Buffalo. And then I believe you had San Francisco over Dallas. And so here we are now on championship weekend. We'll see if we are in agreement or if there will be a, an actual winner again. Um, I'm going to go with, give me the 49ers on the money line. I, I think that right now they're my favorite to win the Super Bowl. Um, actually coming into the playoffs, they were my favorite to win the Super Bowl. Um, so I'm going to take the 49ers. And oh my gosh. I tell you what, I'll go with the 49ers. Oh, oh man. And give me Bengals first quarter spread at a plus one and a half. I'm parlay. Like I'm gonna parlay those two. I don't have any. I don't have any really crazy bets this week. I just want to win. So I'm going with the 49ers on the money line. 
and give me the Bengals on the first quarter spread. I like it. I like it. We're not too, um, we're on a, a similar wavelength here. Um, I went a little bit differently. I am taking the under in both games. Mm. Uh, currently, the under for Philly San Fran is 46 and a half at a minus 110. I am taking the under for that game. As well, you have Kansas City versus Cincy is an under of 48, and I am taking the under for that game as well. They are both minus 110 odds. Parlayed together, that is a plus 264. If you wanted to throw in a spicy extra one here, I'm taking the Bengals on the money line. Mm. And the reason I'm taking the Bengals on the money line, and the reason I think this is going to be an under game overall, is the Bengals are going to likely still have some backup offensive linemen playing, which is worrying. But Joe Burrow might be the best quarterback you could ever hope for when you have backup <laughs> offensive linemen in, in terms of who do we want running our offense when our offensive line is bad. I'm not sure there's anyone better than Burrow that you could pick. So that yep. makes me feel a little bit better about that. On top of that, I think the Bengals defense is incredibly underrated. Yes. Incredibly underrated. And and including their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, I think is an incredible football coach. And it's amazing that he is not getting head coach consideration this year because all he's done for the past two years has made the Bengals defense fantastic. Yep. And they are they are not a one-trick pony team. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins get all the spotlight and all that, and deservedly so. But that defense is for real. And there are a lot of guys that are no names to the rest of the NFL that are playing some really, really dang good football for the Bengals on defense. And Lou Anarumo is a big reason why. I don't think this is going to be a game where the Chiefs can just blow the doors off the Bengals. And no. I don't know if this is going to be a game where the Bengals can do the same either. No. Where I think the Chiefs have the talent and the pass rush talent specifically to get after Burrow to make things life hard in the run game. Chiefs, Chris Jones on the inside, on the interior, makes that more difficult. I don't know if this is going to be that high scoring of a game. And so I'm leaning towards the under in that aspect. But I do think that when it comes down to it, I'm going to trust Joe Burrow fully healthy behind a weekend offensive line, behind ankle injury Patrick Mahomes, yeah. behind an average offensive line even with their starters in Kansas City, and defenses that both know how to get after the quarterback. But mm -hmm. one defense is better at disguising and tricking you, and that's Cincinnati. So that's why I'm leading the Bengals uh, on the money line if you wanted to throw an extra one in. I'm more confident in the unders. I think that Chiefs-Bengals is going to be the best game of the weekend, and I think it could go either way. But if I had to go, I'm going Bengals on the money line. Philly Stanfran, I have absolutely no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Because as much as I could see the Sanford, the 49ers winning on the money line and their defense taking over and Nick Bosa making things hard for Jalen Hurts, I can also see A.J. Brown toasting <laughs> their corners. I can see Jalen Hurts running around them, and I can see the uh, the Eagles' defensive line making Brock Purdy turn into a pebble. So I'm um, I'm def I have nowhere I have no clue with that game. That's all you. You want to go 49ers on the money line? I understand and I support it. I'm not touching that game with a ten foot pole. Give me the under though. That's all I know. I I like the under. I, I started to I started to mess with the under in that game, but. I fear where you're coming from where you just don't know. I like the under in the Kansas City game for what you spoke about with regards to Cincinnati's defense being underrated. We we focus so much on Joe Burrow and 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 Chase that we forget that their defense is solid. They got like some that defense, on defense. That defense has been good for years. Cincinnati, in my opinion, has quietly been a very consistent defense over the years. I mean, I'm talking like maybe last 10 years or so that like yep. you never really hear about them. But I do know that when I watch their games, that their defense is like their defense keeps them in game. Yes, it does. Um, I like the under also because of the Patrick Mahomes uh, ankle injury, which means they're going to. I've seen this picture before. Patrick Mahomes is hurt. They don't know if he's going to be mobile. And then he comes out yep. there. And then he just stands in the pocket and kills him. Yeah, and then it doesn't matter if he's mobile. No, or he's running around. He's looking perfectly fine. Or or that, yeah. Or that. So I think with that game, if they keep Patrick Mahomes in the pocket, I think the under, there's a better chance that the under will hit because both teams will have to methodically move the ball down the field. I don't see Kansas City, even with their weapons, I just don't see them getting a bunch of plays, big plays, 
outside of maybe somebody misses a tackle, there was a defensive breakdown. So I could see the under happening in that game. I can see the under happening in the 49ers game. If you just look at the Dallas and the 49ers game, uh, 49ers defense was definitely able to shut Dallas's offense down. The 49ers offense really didn't get going. Here's the thing about that. Purdy, since he's been in, is that Purdy? I hope I'm pronouncing yeah, this yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Since he's been in, people have to remember this boy's a rookie. He's gotten better every week. The defense of the Eagles, I, I don't think that they're better than the Cowboys. I don't think they're going to apply. I don't think that they're going to bring the pressure that the Cowboys with Micah Parsons and and the, the Eagles defense to me is not the Cowboys defense. I think that the Eagles defense definitely benefits from an explosive offense. The Eagles really haven't been playing well of late. Yes, they beat the Giants, but they beat the Giants that it was only a matter of time before that offense was going to show who they are. And they had played them twice already. Yeah, like, they, played, they knew them a lot yeah. more like than a team where this is the 49ers, I've, have they even played it all this year? I don't even remember if the Eagles and 49ers have played this year. And I was going to ask you that. I don't think that they've played this year. And even if they had played this year, they played with Garoppolo at quarterback. It wasn't right. with Purdy. And I heard some guys talking about it. It was a reporter from San Francisco. I was listening to this on the radio. This was like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. I was listening to the radio. And he was talking about the San Francisco 49ers. They were talking about the difference between Purdy being there uh, he was talking about how Shanahan, he thinks Shanahan's going to be there forever. But he made this point. He said that Shanahan is doing things in situations with Purdy that he never would have went, that he never would have done with Garoppolo. And he pointed out this specific situation where he said it was a critical moment in the game. It was either third and long or it was either third down or fourth down. And he lined up in empty formation. He said in that situation with Garoppolo, they never would have went for the fourth down. They would have they would have wound up running the ball, calling some quick screen or something like that just to punt the ball. But with Purdy, Shanahan calls the game differently. What that's telling me is that Shanahan has a quarterback that he trusts to run his system. And it would not surprise me if the 49ers defense can can can. If the 49ers defense can hold the Eagles offense, I think that this is a game I couldn't see it on here, but I would have taken a bet that I would take the 49ers at like a minus six. Because this is a game where it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the 49ers offense shows this vicious passing attack because they have weapons all over the place. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if the 49ers don't come out here and put up 28, 35 points against the Eagles defense especially if the Eagles defense can't get going against this, this this 49ers defense. If the Eagles offense can't get going against the 49ers defense. So that's where I'm at with it. But I'm just sticking to my guns that the 49ers are going to win this game. But I'm with you. I, you just don't know how this game is going to go. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. Uh, um, you make a very compelling argument. Do not get me wrong. I completely and totally hear you out on there. I'm just, I'm not that confident either way. I'm still a little... <laughs> A little bit worried that Purdy is is a product of Shanahan more than anything else, and the few times that the Eagles might get some pressure on him, I think things could you know it, I got to see it to believe it a little more. But I also understand what you're saying with the Eagles is they haven't been outside of the Giants game they hadn't been playing that well either, and yeah. you you beat a division opponent you you stop them and you're all well and good. Maybe they get a little high on themselves and they come out and they overlook the 49ers and the 49ers hit them in the mouth early. I don't know what's going to happen this, with this game. I have no idea. I have can more. I can more predict what I think is going to happen with Kansas City and Cincy, just because I feel like how they are as teams is a little less volatile, and I feel like it's a little less unknown. We know who Joe Burrow is. We know who Mahomes is. We know who their defensive coordinators are. We know how their defenses like to play. I think that is you know a story we've seen a little bit before. I have no idea what's going to happen with the Eagles and the uh, 49ers. Not an absolute clue. All right, Lamont. I think that does it for us this week. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. We got some good bets in. We also got some time going over the Jets coaching search. Offseason heating up very, very rapidly. We're going to have Derek Carr's bonus come guaranteed on the 15th, meaning any sort of trade or release with him is likely going to happen before that. 
for Aaron Rodgers. I would imagine he's going to need to restructure his contract relatively soon if he wants to get in that same market with a Derek Carr and not just have any of his trade options be you know washed away if all the teams playing for Carr or planning to draft somebody. That's going to be interesting to see. We got a very volatile next few weeks over here in Jetsland. Thank you guys for stopping by and tuning in. We will be here to cover it all. But let's go ahead and knock, wrap this one up. Make sure you guys are uh, tuning in. You can follow the show at B-L-E-A-B underscore in underscore Jets. You can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. And you can follow Big Dog over there at Coach Jordan 34. Thank you guys one more time. And we will be back real, real soon. See ya. Peace. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube